You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast, a podcast for people who want to learn more about their personal finances and get the most from their money. This series is hosted by Kate Campbell from How To Money and Owen Raskovich from Rask Finance. The Australian Finance Podcast is provided for educational purposes only. The information is general in nature and does not take into account your needs, goals or objectives. What that means is the information does not apply to you specifically. So consider getting the advice of a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information. Kate, welcome to the eighth episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Hi, Owen. What are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to dive into this topic of property, investing, Mm. owning for lifestyle reasons, and real estate investment trusts, which are another way to gain exposure to the Australian and global property and infrastructure market. Cool. So everyone should be familiar with property. Uh, we, the great Australian dream. That's it. It is. And we talk, we've talked about this in passing a little bit. And just off air a moment ago, we, we were saying that this, this may be a slightly longer episode, but we expect it to be relevant to everyone. Yeah. Hmm. Everyone's got to live somewhere. So chances are in some way, shape or form, you have exposure to property. So I think this episode will benefit a lot of people. Yeah. So why don't we start off with why property? Is it a lifestyle asset? Is it an investment? Is it both? What do you think? Uh, I think it can be both. A lot of people are, people are buying property for all sorts of different reasons, whether that be somewhere they want to live mm-hmm. um, and they're buying it. There's emotion involved. They're buying a family home. Um, they're buying their first apartment just so they have somewhere to live or they're buying it as an investment and they're planning on renting it out to someone else. Hmm. That's the thing, right? Like you can use it in almost any different way, mm. shape, or form. There's no right or wrong answer necessarily. I guess it depends on what you want from it. One of the things that we've come become used to in Australia is, I would say, pretty good performance from mm. property as an investment, but also as a, as a, from a homeowner's perspective. You talk to most baby boomers or people approaching or in retirement, and property has become probably their biggest asset. Yeah, and I think. 
there are a few reasons which we'll touch on in a minute, but that can potentially lead people astray in terms of what their, I suppose, their preconceptions are before they approach uh, mm. property, whether they're buyers, whether they're investors, etc. So I think it's important that we discuss that. But yeah, I think you know, from a lifestyle perspective, obviously we have to, we all have to live somewhere. Yeah, and. In some respects, that can be dictated by property prices. So you hear the <laughs> you hear the arguments that you know, you know negative gear is ruining the the property market for mm. first home buyers, or baby boomers did this, to millennials did that, and it's yeah. just it's a bit of tit for tat. But as we'll probably talk about, it may not necessarily be as black and white. Mm. And there's a lot of suburbs now that it, young people are just completely outpriced of, so having to move further and further out. Yeah, and I think. You know, there's there's some things here that this is the Instagram versus reality debate, right? <laughs> Where you have maybe if you do have to move out, you have to move out further. Mm. You know, that's just the way it is. It's the way of the world, right? We live yeah. in a capitalistic world. And your first home's probably not going to be that big McMansion you've been dreaming of. You might have to start with something quite small. And yeah, that's right. We all we're not all you know. The, was it Caitlyn Jenner or whoever makes the a lot of money from the Kardashians? Like we all can't <laughs> be billionaires at 21 or whatever. It's just. You know, is it Kylie? I think it's Kylie, actually. Yeah, Kylie <laughs> yeah, Jenner. Yeah, Kylie Jenner. She's got it. Yeah, amazing. But we all can't be like that. We all can't have the big houses on the big hills mm. with the pools and whatever. And sometimes we just have to adjust for that. And for most people, that's not actually reality. So what you're seeing on Instagram is not reality in in any way, cases. shape, or form. Yeah. Yeah. So I think so much of property, it's tied up in that big Australian dream. So it's really sort of part of our psyche um, in Australia, mm. and it's seen as this huge accomplishment. So. You, it's something to be that people are proud of. When they buy their first home, they're putting pictures up, they're telling their friends, there's a big party, mm. co-workers, everyone. Everyone's proud That's of you warming. and excited for you. Mm. But if you just bought the same, you spent that deposit and bought the same amount in shares, well, no one would care. That's right. No one would notice. You wouldn't write about it on Facebook. Yeah, like, you're not going to go, I just share bought $80,000 of an index fund. Yeah. and then, um, But everyone's really on your side when you buy property, so it can seem like that is the best way to go just because society sort of dictates you, yeah. that's a great thing to do. Yeah, and we talked about this off air that often because property has performed so well for people who perhaps aren't necessarily financially literate. So, they, mm. what I mean is they don't necessarily understand how shares work. They don't understand how any of the other types of investments work. Yet, property has been done so well for them. The first thing they tell their kids is go and buy a property yeah. because that's – that works. Yeah. You know, sample size of one, it's worked for me, so therefore you should go and do it. And yeah. yes, it has worked, but there are reasons why that may not necessarily be the most appropriate mm. thing for them to do. And I think a lot of people really like property because it's something it's easier to understand and you can actually mm. touch it. You can you it's can tangible. stand on that piece of ground, mm. land, and um, you can touch the house and it's there. Mm. Whereas some of the other types of investing, you're never going to be able to touch your share. Well, that's it. Unless you truly, one, I'd say the one uh, argument against that is that you, if you have shares in a company, if you, mm-hmm. some people perceive them to be like, you know, like ideas and things on a computer yeah. screen. But if you think about like I own shares in Apple, for example, yeah. and I've, I can touch my Mac, I can touch my iPhone. Yeah. You can't say this is a terrible podcast, <laughs> but you, I'm touching these things right yeah. now. And I, you know, the, the company that I own shares in builds part of this. But yeah. anyway, I digress. That's just an, another thing for another time. Mm. But you're right, you know, if you don't understand how those things work, then you can go up and you can take your hammer and you can put on your weatherboard on your on your, your shack that you just bought and you can yeah. make improvements, you can 
see it you can smell it if it's <laughs> depending on the place you can smell it you know you can just the, the house comes alive for you so it's yeah. not necessarily all investing and it's not necessarily all about money and it's not necessarily all about lifestyle it's like the combination mm. so tell me kate if you are buying a house where would you put money if you're trying to save i think this is like the, the, the question i get a lot is if you're a first home buyer and you're trying to save up the 20 percent deposits so you don't have to pay lenders mortgage insurance which yeah. we'll touch on later where would you put that money? And where probably wouldn't you put that money? Mm. I think if, you, if you're looking at a quite a short time frame in sort of anything less than a year or two, you're wanting to put it in just a high interest savings account, maybe even a term deposit just to stop yourself touching it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, I was having an argument with my dad the other day and he's like, oh yeah, you should be investing your house deposit. So I don't know. Um, there's different opinions on that. Um, everyone has different ideas on what's a suitable time frame to actually get started with investing. And mm. um, uh, I think if you're looking at buying a house in the next few years, you should just be putting it away into a high interest savings account. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Really, <laughs> like you've, I think I agree with you, right? But I'm going to bring up two stories. So the first one is that during the height of the crypto you know, Bitcoin thing, I heard a story from a friend of mine who said his his sister-in-law was saving for a house and his in-laws said, you should put your money in Bitcoin so that you can save your deposit faster. Mm. And this was like 2017, right? This is when Bitcoin was like $20,000 and it's now who knows what, but it's a lot less. <laughs> it was right. like 3000 Yeah, so crazy, right? And you think about that and what, the reason why we say put it in a savings account or return deposit and not put it in shares, put it in an ETF mm. or is because of this thing, volatility, yeah. right? And you don't want to be risking the money that you have put aside for your lifestyle, which yeah. is saving for the house. You don't want to put that in something that could just get sliced in half. And the reality is that even though shares and all these other things do well over a very long period of time, if you were to... Zoom in to what it looks like on a day-to-day, month-to-month or year-to-year basis. The share market is actually incredibly risky. Mm. So even though we say, you know, this is part ownership of Apple, if we touch our Apple iPhone yep. or whatever, Apple shares could be 5% higher today than they were yesterday. They could be 10% lower. Mm. That's just the share market. So you don't want to be putting your $5,000 or $10,000 that you saved in that, right? Yeah. And the other thing, the other story I wanted to bring up is we touched on uh, Alamai, which is Lenders Mortgage Insurance in one of the episodes. Was that the debt? Yeah, I think so. Debt episode, yeah. And we talked about, and I said it's one of the riskiest things you don't have to pay. Mm. And I had uh, a friend of mine who's a you know, pretty knowledggeable about property, and they said, LMI is all right because if you you can you can get in the market sooner because if the market's getting away from you, the the, the property market, you know, you think prices are getting away from me, prices in the suburb that I want to buy in are going up 10%, but my savings accounts are only getting 2%. I'm never going to get in, right? Yeah. So they, th- they say, well, maybe you can use Alamai to get in the market sooner and then you can capture some of that growth. And that's true. Like We often get FOMO, like we, the fear of missing out. Mm. And I think the thing there is that the market always feels like it's getting away from you, but it is cyclical. Property prices do go up, they do go down, they do go sideways for very long periods mm. of time. So just keep saving yeah, and you'll get there eventually. It's just one of those things you have to put up with. Yeah, and it, and I've met people that have financially stretched themselves to buy a house mm. that's probably way out of their budget, but they've um, they've just really stretched themselves, and then they can get in really bad situation if they do lose their job or anything like that because they're only just able to make the mortgage repayments. So it's better to be in a situation where you're more comfortable to actually pay for that house. 
Yeah, that's the thing, right? It's it, and you're touching on something like mindset. It's about mm. having the right attitude towards property. If this is the biggest thing you're ever going to do in your yeah. life financially, take your time. Yeah, like it's not what's a year over fifty years. Yeah, take your time. It's you might lose five percent this year. Like you might fall behind. Yeah. Feel like you're falling behind, but longer term for your sanity, for everything else, it's really important. And most people are getting mortgages, like 30-year mortgages. It's a long period of your life. That's right. a lot of time. And it's a a lot of money you're Mm. putting on the line. So you want to make sure you're really financially prepared for this. For sure. And it's a good habit to get into saving money, right? That's what you've got to do. So we are, I just coined this, but uh, the Solutions Podcast, not a Problems (laughs) Podcast. We don't just identify all the problems with the world. We actually give you some solutions. Yeah. So if you are saving for a house, what are maybe some of the things that you might consider to get that deposit quicker? Yeah, so some people do choose to get a second job or make some extra income on the side and put that money solely, yeah, side hustle, take up some extra shifts if they're working a shift job um, and put that money solely into their house deposit account. And a lot of people do have a separate bank account just for that house deposit so Mm -hmm. they can really see the value going up and Mm. keep track of it that way. Yeah, that's a really good one, I think. Side hustle, I've, I've said before that you know, I'd love to get a job at Bunnings on a Saturday and, and work, and I don't, but I have no skills in any sort of trade, so like <laughs> it wouldn't work. But I think they hire high school students, so you're probably all right. Oh, well, there we go. Maybe I could just be the cashier or whatever. But you know, you could get a job, and even if it's it sounds, you know, for some people it's like, oh, my God, only a year. Well, it's, if it's only a year, you could do that for a year and you could put away extra five yeah. or $10,000 perhaps, maybe, you mm. know, and that's a huge way towards getting a deposit. Yeah, and I guess it comes back to, as we've spoken before, your priorities. And is saving for a house a priority in your budget or is going on the next big trip a priority? It's mm. Everyone has different priorities. And if you've just got to work out how important and what your time frame is, do you want to buy a house in one year, five years, and sort of adjust your budget accordingly so you can save up for it? Mm, that's really important, right? Like having that, that time frame, mm. knowing how much you're saving and then using like a spreadsheet or whatever you want to do yep. to say, I'll have this much in this amount of time and that's when I'll probably be able to, to buy. And that's yeah. a really good way to do it because you know what you've got to do. Yeah, You don't have to stretch yourself too much and you, and you, you just put a time on it. So, the other yeah. one uh, we've got here is you could invest in yourself. So, mm-hmm. by that, we mean yeah, upskilling. upskilling, further education. And yeah. there's so much, so many free courses you can do online now and just really improving your capability so you can maybe get a pay rise or a better job or something like that working towards promotion yeah and this is something i'm sure we'll lecture on a few times throughout the series is that there's a reason that we go to school at the beginning of our lives is because Mm. that's when we want to learn the most because then our knowledge compounds over time and we can then become more employable and we can become smarter as time goes on i mean in today's workforce it's it's lifelong learning you've always got to be upskilling and improving yourself nowadays that's right so and if you can do little things now to get ahead Mm. and get a promotion you'll probably find that savings come to you a lot sooner Uh, a a lot quicker sorry so the other thing is before we round this section off is just sometimes you don't have to buy a property straight away people in your life amount of times people have said to me have you bought a house we bought a house. I think I was, and this is going to show my age, so I apologize for everyone. Uh, I think I was around about 24, I'm going to say, and I had maybe $80,000 saved up, maybe. So, you're all ready to buy that house. If you're I, could have, I could have bought a house, right? I remember, I was telling someone the other day, I could have used that money and I could have gone and bought 
in the middle of nowhere, because this is the type of person I am, in the middle of nowhere, I could have gone and bought like 150 acres of bushland. With a rabbit, yeah, with rabbit a, hutch. With a rabbit hutch, yeah. Maybe. There'd probably just be wild rabbits living <laughs> in the ground. But the, the idea that that was how I'd spend my money and people yeah. were like, no, 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 you'd use that and buy a house, buy a house in a suburb and, and all the rest of it. And yeah. I was like, nah, you know what? At the end of time, I didn't go ahead with any of that. Uh, and I ended up just keeping my money invested in shares and- that's the then, thing, you don't have to buy a house. That's right. There's other ways you can invest your money, which we will talk about many times throughout this series, but that's not the only option. If you're just buying it because you think you should and you think that's the only way you should mm. put your invest your money, then there's other options. There is. And I, one thing with this is that I would never have been able to start a business mm. if I had bought that house. Yeah, because you do lock away a lot of That's right. It's that optionality, equity. right? You if That $80,000 grew a fair bit before I decided to create my own business. But that's taking away the options that I had later mm. on the, down the line. And I knew that there's another digression, but <laughs> I could potentially use that money to invest in a business, which is probably a better investment than a property. Yeah. Anyway, back to property. <laughs> Kate, I'm almost certain that property doubles every seven years. Is that right? Oh, I don't know. Or is that every seven minutes? Seven minutes. Seven minutes? Seven hours? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's every seven minutes. <laughs> So, does it? Uh, I don't think so, Owen. Yeah, I think if you... Maybe Bitcoin does. Maybe, yeah. I think our, our minds, our monkey brains are also susceptible to different biases. And one of the ones that we have is recency bias. Recency bias is the idea that because it's happened recently, that it's going to happen again. And that's the commonly mm. accepted truth. So, since the 1990s, in the early 1990s, Australian prices have gone, property prices have gone through the roof. Mm. Literally, like, it's been crazy. And it's the longest time on record that anywhere in the world that the country has gone without a recession. Mm. And so if you think about that, you, you'd probably say that we're the exception, not the rule. Yeah. And unless we have some sort of, like Australia's pretty awesome, let's be honest, but unless we have some sort of, I don't know, some magic wand that's been waved over us that says that yeah. we're going to go on forever and prices are going to keep going the way they are, uh, you know, there's a very good chance that it's not going to happen. Mm. And the simple laws of mathematics would tell us that every seven years, if property doubled every seven years, we would be well out of the market. We would have been out of the market many years ago. No one would be buying houses because it's just not possible because yeah. all the other things that we do with our money can't sustain that. Yeah, We, we often talk about things like a, um, a time recession, which is effectively instead of prices falling, because in Australia we have a good popula- amount of population growth, yeah. instead of prices falling, house prices might just stay flat for a while. Mm. And, and it could be five years. That's right. It doesn't have to be, you know, forever. It could be yeah. five years. It could be three years. So there's this belief, and this comes back to that mindset again, is that property doubles every seven years is probably not the right one to carry with you through life. There's a there are a few studies done in the US, and one of them was by Professor Robert Schiller, who did a study going back over a hundred years, and he did it not just in the US mm. worldwide, and found that. In actual fact, property prices barely grow above inflation. So that's that cost yeah. of cost of living. And the only reason, you know, necessarily why they probably would is supply demand imbalance and it's a structural supply demand mm-hmm. imbalance. We don't we have that in Australia, so you could maybe expect house prices to grow a little bit more than that, but definitely not to double every seven yeah. years. And there's many areas in Australia where so when people have brought properties where there was mining booms and things, there's they've dramatically gone backwards. So that's right. If you'd, yeah. uh, be, Thought you were going to get doubling every seven years, you would be in for a big surprise. If you go over to somewhere in WA, tell them that property doubles every seven years, you'd probably get thrown out of town. Yeah. So I wanted to, 
there were some numbers that I wanted to throw at that. So the idea that since the 1990s, Australian prices have done really well. And there's the, the, the three big things that I wanted to do, and these numbers were relevant as of 2018. So in this time, since the early 90s till 2018, interest rates have fallen from 17% to 1.5. Hmm. So I think that's the late 80s to 1.5, uh, 17% to 1.5 last year. Um, migration and population have gone through the roof. So we've gone from 17 million Australians to over 24 million. Mm. So that's a 47% increase yep. in beds that you need to have. So roofs over people's heads. And in that time, we've also seen wages increase from $450 per week. This is average or medium wages to over 1100 Yeah. So it's a 260% increase in that time. Mm. So if you think that wages are still going to grow at 200 whatever percent, <laughs> or you think that Australia's population is still going to grow in percentage terms, the rate of growth in the same way, or you think that, you know, uh, our wages, yeah, once again, wages are going to grow, population is going to grow, interest rates are going to keep falling from 1.5% to mm. who knows, negative maybe. Well, you'd want to check your, your numbers before <laughs> you rely on that. So don't go pour in your kidney and buy a house just based on the assumption that's going to grow at 7.5% or 10% per year forever. Okay. <laughs> we got through that one. Kate, what are the three typical options someone would have if they're buying a house or a home, I should say? Yeah, so sort of in options, you've got apartments, houses, and units. Mm -hmm. um, and they're quite different in themselves because when you have a house, you've usually got a piece of land as well. Yep. Um, when, when you're buying an apartment, you're sort of fractional owner of a bit of the land, but it's really the body corporate. Mm -hmm. What's a body corporate? Uh, so <laughs> sometimes they can be a bit of a pain. I've had a few horror stories from colleagues, but they if you're in an apartment block with a thousand apartments, then someone has to make decisions on when renovations are made, when painting's done. Mm -hmm. And usually each apartment owner will pay a set fee, whether that be a thousand bucks, ten thousand bucks to the body corporate per each year, year yep. um, to pay for those common costs. And like new mm -hmm. apartments with pools and everything, the body corporate fee has to pay for those, mm. the pools, the cleaning, everything like that. Um, and then sometimes it can be run by the comp uh, an external company. Mm -hmm. Um, who take a fee for take like collecting the it. cash and yep. administering the body corporate, or it might be run by the if it's a, sometimes a smaller apartment block, the tenants. So they'll have a body corporate. I think we should just say that outside of Victoria, these are often called strata, okay. strata uh, titles and strata apartments and all the rest of it. So in Victoria, we call mm. it a body corp. I have experience with these uh, types of organisations, and they're mm -hmm. not. Pretty, for example, our apartment got broken into a few weeks ago and we don't have cameras yeah. where this was broken into. This is a common area. This is like a, not, I shouldn't say our apartment, but like our storage facility. Yeah. And a fair few thousand dollars worth of stuff is stolen. And it turns out that there are about five other thefts over the last month and they've all been lodged with police, but there are still no cameras there because what's happened is no one in the building wants to have a meeting with the body corp who's an mm. independent company and say, can we put in security cameras? And the body corp doesn't want to do that because it costs money. Yeah. Right. And so you have this issue where we have a apartment where we're not necessarily sure that our belongings are safe. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like we're powerless against that. So obviously there's some issues there that people need to consider. And one thing that I get a lot is people go, I'm going to buy a house in XYZ suburb. Oh, look, I can't afford a house in XYZ suburb, therefore I'll buy an apartment somewhere else. Yeah. And it's kind of like it's a concession that they've made. They've gone, okay, well, we'll just go and buy an apartment. Not realizing that 
there are so many headaches that can come with yeah. apartments and, and things that have and, and body corporate fee is probably something you haven't factored into your that's right but um, I'll give you an absolute figure so so let's say that you have uh, an apartment and you might rent it for three hundred and fifty dollars say mm. you it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if you're paying fifty dollars a week in body cop fees yeah. sometimes more so if you if you factor that in you go to your mortgage you're like this is how much it's going to cost me to buy this place this is my how much I can rent it for this is what you know, I'm going to have to assigned to body cop, all yeah. of a sudden it becomes an unviable thing to do. Mm. So you have to be really careful with that. But you also have to be really careful. These body corps, and you can ask to inspect the books before you buy one of these, yeah. like an apartment or whatever. But sometimes on the books of the body corp, there are debts and liabilities that you as an owner coming in may be liable for. So you need yeah. to be careful about that. So uh, just because just it's got a nice fancy pool and gym doesn't, there could be a lot of costs involved That's with right. corporate for that. So, so if you look around and you see that the place has an apartment, uh, a, a lift, yeah, that's going to be more expensive than a place that doesn't have a lift. Yeah. If you look around, it's got a pool, it's going to be more expensive. If it's got um, beautifully manicured garden, it's going to be more expensive. Mm. So these are all things that you need to take into account when you're looking at apartments, not yeah. just the price tag, but what's the ongoing cost. And for me, as someone who's a finance person and probably a bit tighter than average, yeah, it doesn't make sense for me to be buying something that then I'm going to have to pay more money for to maintain. Yeah. Okay, so I reached out to a friend of mine uh, to get some f- facts and figures about the difference between, between houses, which I, you know, everyone knows what a house is in like a middle income suburb versus apartments and the prices. And in Australia, there's you can Google it that ABS statistics, um, attached dwellings versus detached dwellings. Mm. And I think it was since 2003, houses tend to outperform slightly, but more recently during a slight, you could say, correction in property prices, we've seen that houses have pulled away again from units and apartments. Yeah. And my fundamental belief is that a lot of the value of owning a house comes from the land, yeah. not from the building, mm. because that's obviously an asset which can be replaced or pulled down or whatever. It's actually the land location. Those are the things that make the, the property, I suppose, unique. Mm. So when you're considering... You know what might be the best financially. You might want to consider if it's apartment. What what's make what does what makes it more what makes it more viable longer term than spending a little bit more versus a house. Now, Kate, you and I live in a very similar suburb, just mm. in inner suburbs of Melbourne. You could say. Yeah. Would you ever be tempted to buy something off the plan, like an apartment off the plan? I don't think so. No. Personally, I, I don't have buying property in my sort of immediate future. Okay. Now, can you imagine why buying something off the plan? Like I, I get the impression that you're not a big property investor, but can you imagine why buying off the plan would be risky? Oh, I mean, they have very glossy brochures and uh, yeah, nice yeah, showrooms, but um, there's a lot of risks in between when you put your 10% or so deposit down and then when the apartment's actually built. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's right, and there's usually maybe four years between them, and um, a lot can happen. The projects almost always run over budget, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes there can be pretty nasty legal battles as well, depending on if the developer goes bust in the meantime, and all sorts of things. So for sure, you and I, like I said, we live near each other, and uh, I could probably count off the top of my head maybe half a dozen between a half a dozen and a dozen apartment buildings that are going up yeah. in our area. So what happens is when you buy off the plan, effectively your money is you're, – you're reserving a spot in the development. Mm. Right? But then there's could be 300 other apartments that are in that development. So you need to be sure that that's going to go ahead before you put your money yeah. down, which might not. And like you said, there could be cost overruns. 
the developer could cut corners. And they can have some pretty nasty legal clauses if the project takes longer than X amount of years, the developer mm-hmm. can sort of kick you off and all sorts of things. I've heard a few horror stories. So it's just it's just crazy, right? And then once you get to the development being complete, what happens is what people underestimate is they think, oh, you know, the developer said I'll buy it for this amount and then in 18 months it will be worth this much or estimated to be worth this much. I'll just sell it and make a profit, right? (laughs) Which is kind of crazy because what happens is in an apartment building or complex, if you have, say, 50 apartments, there's so little differentiating each individual Mm. apartment and what will happen is if the builder or the developer can't get enough sales of apartments, they'll fund the apartments themselves or they'll find some way to fund it and then they'll just flood the market as soon as the development's complete and sell those apartments to try and realise some Mm. profit. So you're competing with multiple other sellers to sell the same kind of thing. You sell exactly the same box in exactly the same suburb and the problem that you have is that in our example, in our location here in Melbourne, that you have a dozen other apartment buildings that people can choose yeah. from. That doesn't necessarily mean that prices are going to fall or collapse, but it doesn't. It means that the rate of growth in your investment in that apartment mm. will be a lot less than if you just bought a house yeah. in, a, in a unique location. So something to consider. I would say just blacklist. If you're thinking about buying an apartment off the plan, blacklist it. If you've already bought one, um, I'm sorry to have to tell you. <laughs> okay, so... We're going to talk about some of the things that um, uh, a would-be homeowner or some of the people that a would-be yeah. homeowner might interact with. So, who are we talking about? So, the salespeople, so the real estate agents. So, they're mm. going to, in most cases, some people do it privately, but you're going to be dealing with the real estate agents when you want to buy a house mm-hmm. um, and they're going to be telling you all the wonderful things about that house and the, the glazed windows and the mud <laughs> brick walls and they're going to be... So they're actually they're working for the seller because mm-hmm. uh, that's where they're going to get their commission from. But they're also trying to get the best price, so they've also got to sell the buyer. So you've got to be sold on the product. So um, they're really salespeople, aren't they? Mm. They are. At the end of the day, they are, and they make a healthy clip from you know from people spending the most money probably in their life, unless yeah. you're buying yachts or airplanes. Houses are probably up there with the, the most lavish things yeah. you can afford. So, so they're only going to tell you the good things about the property. So it's up to you. You have to do your own due diligence and yep. whether that be getting the place inspected. Um, I know Pests sometimes people have to do doing... termite inspections on yep. older houses and things like that. Yep, really important. Um, but you need to make sure you can you you know all the flaws in that property because they're not going to tell you about it. That's right. And one of the ways you can do that is you can read something called the Section 32. Now, I should have done some Googling, but... I don't know if this is just a Melbourne thing Mm. or Victorian thing, but Section 32 is effectively the official document which sets out all the limitations and important information for that property. So there'd probably be a similar document in different states, but in Victoria we call it the Section 32. Have a read of it. I mean, if you're spending $500,000 on a house or $200,000 or a million dollars, I mean, it's worth the hour that it takes to read that document. So, And if you don't understand it, you can contact a solicitor, a conveyancer, whoever – Find an expert that can um, decipher that thing for you because that's the most important one. So an example might be someone buys a house and they don't know that there's a stormwater drain under the ground at the back of the property. So they thought, oh, you know, I'll just develop this and put two units on or I'll put, we'll put a pool back there. Uh, no, because there's a giant pit yeah. just beneath that. So 
That's the kind of document that would tell you that. Yeah, and what are the council restrictions on the land? They might not let you develop it. Um, mm. And there might be heritage restrictions on that house too. So you, there's very there's rules on what you can and can't do if you want to renovate. That's right. So that's the document that you can do your due diligence, as yeah. we say. The other one is, we've talked about it just before, is just the um, strata or body corp. If you are inclined to buy an apartment for, say, income purposes, just read the body corp, yeah. get the information on the strata title. Yeah, what know are the historical the annual fees been? That's right. Know what the, the financial position is of the, the body corporate. You don't want to take responsibility for someone's debts or mismanagement. Yeah. yeah these people that run body corps are often, you know, they're not always lawyers or accountants or people that are financial literate. Yeah. And you don't want to be responsible for that. Mm. And you may also be dealing with a mortgage broker. Oh, yes. Mortgage brokers. Yes. So, yeah. they might you might be going to them to help find the best rate or the most suitable home loan option for you so mm-hmm. you've got to most people don't have a hundred percent of the money required to buy the house so they'll have their 20 percent deposit and they'll need to get a loan from a financial institution um to to fund the rest yeah so they might get a hundred percent mortgage on a house no no no, no <laughs> definitely don't get a hundred percent mortgage no, on a house. <laughs> I, is that possible yeah well probably if you get if you get a guarantor from yeah. you, you know just say a young person doesn't have a cent to their name and they go to the bank of mum and dad and they're like, hey, can you just be a guarantor for me? Mm, no. Yeah. So, you might um, be using a mortgage broker yeah, to help to you find the, um, <laughs> the best uh, home loan rate um, that's suitable for you yep. at, at the time. And they, they sometimes have access to um, home loans that don't work directly with retail customers. So, there's mm. some institutions that only work through mortgage brokers. Um, and then there's some smaller companies that don't you might not hear about. Um, you probably only think of the big financial institutions, but there's mm. over 30. That'd be it? heaps, yeah, there's, I don't know. There's don't heaps know. of heaps. companies that offer home loans. So often a mortgage broker can assist you with finding something. You've always got to work out what's in it for them. Mm. Are you paying a fee? If you're not paying them a fee to do it, then where are they getting their money from? Usually they get a cut from whoever you get the home loan with. Um, and maybe just find out if there's any agreements they have with them. Obviously, being in finance, I've had to deal with like licensing and a lot of regulation that mm. we have to go through in the in- industry. And I wrote this thing and I said, don't use a mortgage broker because of X, Y, and Z. And then I had all these compliance and legal people reach out to me and say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. This yeah. is You need to say this and this and this and this. Well, mortgage brokers and do increase competition in the marketplace. So there are good things, yes. right? <laughs> but I'm the no commission, only work for the end user. No one should mm-hmm. ever come between the client and the service that they need. That's my stance on everything, right? Never. And and you're willing to put in the hours required to search through every single mortgage um, loan provider. Well, this is the thing. In the time that since then, we've had the Royal Commission and yeah. it's been found that mortgage brokers are often not working in the client's best interest or if they are, it's not done in the most appropriate fashion mm. and it's done to, for them to drive commission. So, at the time when I pre- presented my evidence to this compliance person when they came back to me, I said, well, hey, mortgage brokers on average earn $142,000 a year. The financial advice industry transitioned mm. away from that a long time ago. And anyway, I don't. this is a property podcast, but- I think if you are, you should ask your mortgage broker for a if they are fee for service, and that means yeah. stumping up the cash up front to pay them on an hourly rate. Yeah. Or you know there are until these new rules come in, there are 
mortgage brokers out there that will refund the ongoing commission to you. So that's effectively like I'm not talking about a little bit, a bit of money. I'm talking about like they're going to give you fifteen hundred dollars a year, which they would normally take for a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage, say, and they're going to put that into your mortgage for you. Yeah, and that's going to have a huge impact on how quickly you can repay your loan mm. versus them paying that, taking that and whatever. Yeah. So find a mortgage broker that can compare the options, as you're yeah. saying, increase competition, but also work for you. Yeah. First and foremost. So that's my rant. If you need, any, if there's any questions on yes. that, I'm sure there will be a fair bit of feedback to that one. Uh, let us know. Okay, so Kate, I'm a property buyer. Yeah. And I just I found a property that I love on realestate.com or domain or whatever, and there's an auction this weekend. Who is that auction for me or? Is so that- the auction's designed to get the best price for ah. the seller. Yeah. So it's not really in not designed for you, but they'll make it fun. They'll make it exciting. Everyone will be gathered outside the front of the house and there'll be an auctioneer uh, yelling really fast, trying to get the price up as high as possible above. Mm. And they'll often there'll be a reserve, so there'll be a minimum price that the seller's willing to s- sell the house at. Um, and then they'll often tell you once they hit the reserve. Um, mm. And then it can get pretty crazy. So I think it's the enthusiasm's died down a little bit recently, but there was some pretty crazy auctions and multiple parties just bidding, trying to outdo each other because they just like the property or they got sort of swirled up in the madness of the mm-hmm. auction. Yeah. And the thing is, there are a lot of opinions on this, right? Yeah. Whether you should or you shouldn't buy an auction or whatever. But it's just one of those things. Like the seller is incentivized to get the most money for their property. Yeah. And you, as the buyer, don't want to do that. You want to do the opposite mm. of that. People get really emotional about this stuff, which we'll get into in a minute. But my advice is that if you know what your budget is, yeah, just submit your offer before the auction. And there's no rules to say necessarily that you can't do that. Just yeah. call the agent and say, I will offer this amount of money based on you know, there being no pests and yeah. building inspection, etc. And then if they, you don't get it, you don't get it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm afraid to say that if you, with your best offer, can't get it, then you shouldn't have bought it. Yeah. And this is the thing. A lot a lot of the people that buy property let other people tell them how much something's worth. Yeah. That's the opposite. Like I don't go to the share market and be like, oh, look, Combank shares are 70 bucks today. That must be what they're worth. Yeah. If I know what I'm doing, I'm going to figure out how much they're worth and I'm going to yeah. wait for that price. And so- uh, I guess auctions can bring out that competitive streak. You might go $100,000 yeah. over budget just because- you want to beat that person mm. standing across from you in the room. That's it. And, and there are people that you can use to give you some guidance here. There are buyer's agents, which we mm. talked about. Um, there are, you know, people that know what they're doing. You can use reliant family and friends to give you some counsel here. It's just one of those things that it's designed for the seller, not for the buyer. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, the only reason they budget. go to the whole effort of putting on an auction is they think they'll get a better price, really. That's right. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no point in having an auction. That's right. They wouldn't do it otherwise. Just direct sale. And- we're recording. We don't want to timestamp this, but we're in 2019 when we're mm. recording this, and there uh, there is some change afoot we're, we're experiencing right now, and that could be a sign that auctions may not necessarily be the best place for sellers to sell. So there yeah. may be opportunities for buyers going forward. And so we just talked about, uh, well, I talked about how it's important to know your limits. One of the ways that you can know your limits is when you go onto a borrowing power calculator. One of the things you do is you put in your income. And you go, wow, look how much money I can borrow. Yeah, and the bank says they'll loan you a million dollars. Yes, and you might have an income of $42,000 and you're yeah. like, 
Wow, that's uh, incredible. So basically, it comes back to two different things and it comes back to your earning power and the interest rate of the mortgage. And if you put in an income that's unrealistic, well, you're going to get whatever figure you want. And yep. if the mortg- if the interest rate that you're paying is very low, then you're going to be able to borrow more. Yeah. And everyone will be encouraging you to borrow more. The bank will. Oh, of course. The, um, sometimes the mortgage broker might yep. be pushing you to borrow more. Oh, they get better commission for yeah. – yeah, this comes back to commission. Um, yep. And even the sort of real estate agency will just real be sales. going, oh, just, just put up your price a bit more and oh, you'll be able yeah. to get it. Didn't you see two McGovern Street sold for this amount? This one must be worth more. Yeah, and your no. friends will probably yeah. be – Saying, oh, you just get in. It doesn't matter if you pay an extra hundred grand or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, something crazy. Um, so my tips with this calculator is interest rates are very low at the moment, but they won't be like this forever. Yeah. I would say put it in an interest rate of something like 7.5%, mm. regardless of what the loan says they yeah. will offer you right now, because you've got to prepare yourself that that may yeah, be the reality. Yeah, and if reality. you're committing to a 30-year loan time frame, you need to be able to be prepared for interest rates to go up. Yeah. And another rule of thumb that I have is try and keep the mortgage repayments less than 30% of your income because this comes back to our budgeting yeah. episode where we talked about having the right amount, you know, so you can put it aside and yeah. you can still invest and you can do all the rest of it. And that can be pretty revealing. And, and you might just you- have to adjust your expectations, That's as right. I mentioned earlier. Just yeah. You might have to start with something small, like a one or two bedroom instead of a five bedroom house mm. and in a further out suburb than what you wanted. Um, hmm. And then slowly work your way in. You know, sometimes we just need to check ourselves and know what's achievable and what's just simply not. Yeah. One of the things that has come to light recently is this thing called rent vesting. Do you know what that is? Uh, not too much. Okay. So, rent vesting is this idea that you buy in a suburb out a bit further or where you don't want to live and you rent where you do want to live. Yeah. I was being myself, I was initially skeptical of this. I was like... Why would you even do that in the first place? <laughs> but it can work. Yeah. You can actually buy in a suburb that you think is going to go up in price. It might be a cheaper one where they're doing new developments or whatever. Yeah. And you do a bit of research and you realize, hey, I can afford a house there, but I don't want to live there. Mm. You can do it so that you move into that house for a limited amount of time. You get the first home of ice cream, whatever. And then you um, you move from there and you go and rent in the place that you like. And you, yeah. you, you, your rent can cover the mortgage on that property. Uh, yeah, the rent that you receive can cover the yeah, yeah yeah too many rents flying around, but yeah, you get the <laughs> idea. So, but you can you can definitely do that. So that's one way around that. I don't want to live in that suburb; it's way too far out. It's not very nice. Blah 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 blah. You can talk to say an accountant who can explain the differences between what might be tax deductible and what might mm-hmm. not be, and then you can sort of figure out where you can afford to buy. Yeah. And where you can afford to rent, and it's, there's some great blogs online too called there's like rent rent vesting blogs they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 worth looking into if you're in that position. Yeah. yeah, something that I would even consider doing to be honest. I don't own property. Mm. I've had some questions on that, but I don't own property, so yeah, something to consider. And one last thing before we get to some other accounting tricks is um offsets versus regular accounts. Did we talk about offset accounts? I think we did in yep. sort of the saving episode, maybe. Yeah, so offset accounts are a really good one. If you own a home, you can get. With the right bank, you shouldn't have to pay for it, I don't think. Yeah. Just talk talk to the bank about getting an offset account or uh, you can even talk to your accountant about potential savings that mm. you can get from having an offset account. So, in effect, an offset account, if you have a mortgage, may be able to- Reduce the interest you pay. Reduce the interest you pay, which in effect is better than you would receive from a savings account. Yeah. And I know some people do keep their emergency funds in their offset accounts yeah. as long as you're able to easily transfer money in and out of it with no fees. Yeah, that's a good one. And then, yeah, very good one. And another one is um, 
redraw facilities, which is when you pay ahead. I think we talked about that in the mm-hmm. bank accounts episode. Uh, what is this? Do you know much about negative gearing? We won't go into it in too deep. I mean, it's definitely detail. been a topic of contention at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's so there's a there's a really good book, and I've got it right here on the bench once again. Great podcast material. Uh, there's a book called Inside Real Estate. It's written by a guy called Peter O'Malley. He's an Australian guy. I think he's from the Northern Beaches of Sydney. Mm-hmm. And it's there's so many good books, but this is just one of them. And it really just opens your eyes to the tricks and traps of the industry. Yeah. And one of the things is that, and this is something that I believe, is that if you have an investment, it should be cash flow positive. Mm. So that, you know, we hear a lot about negative gearing and it's effectively where the interest that you pay on your mortgage for an investment doesn't exceed the, uh, exceeds the rent. Yeah. So then you're actually going backwards. Yeah. So you're losing money. That's right. And the the, the ultimate goal is that the you hope that the price of the property increases beyond the amount of interest that you'll pay or the negative gearing yeah. that you'll use to sustain that property as part of your portfolio, quote unquote. But the thing hap- that the issue with negative gearing, I think, comes when property markets aren't going up, mm. which happens as we've talked about. Yeah. It hasn't doesn't always happen in Australia <laughs> that often, but. Yeah. When property prices stagnate or they go sideways, we have a time recession or properties go backwards, negative gearing can catch a lot of people out. Mm. So I went to some inspections recently and recently property prices have been going backwards and half of the people that were renting the properties, we would talk to the real estate agents, were the owners. Yeah. So what they were doing is they were worried about their mortgage repayments because they've been negatively geared or they've just bought them. They may not all be negatively geared, but what they're doing is they're realizing that the repayments have suddenly caught up with, mm. um, you know, where the mortgage is and they need to make decisions. So, the easiest way to avoid, I think, getting caught out with any of these tricks that people have in the property industry is just to make sure that whatever you buy, it's making money. Yeah. So, that's after stamp duty, body corp, etc. Yeah. And I think don't make decisions solely based on one tax incentive because mm. the government can change the goalposts at any time. Oh, yeah. They can change the rules. It's their rules. So um, just don't make decisions solely on that without factoring anything else into account. Absolutely. And not also we should say don't uh, make a decision based on only one podcast episode that you hear. Yes. This is a big thing in your life. So you probably want to talk to accountants or yeah. or just one news article you read. I've oh. heard some people recently planning big changes to their personal finances just because they've read a couple of articles and they haven't really gone any deeper than that. So We're just giving you the basics. Mm. This is a very uh, emotional thing. It's a very Yeah, and you're dealing with thing. a massive asset. That's so right. you want to talk to qualified professionals such as accountants. Yeah, accountants are the best ones for tax-related questions. Yep. Okay, so the other – just rounding out the types of people that you might encounter. Uh, solicitors, really good if you're a property investor to have a good solicitor. Yeah. And they'll be involved with the buying and the selling of yeah. the property. Yeah. So we have conveyances or uh, people that help you get in and out of properties. One thing, if you're trying to sell a property, it's probably a good idea to sell your property before you buy a new one. Yeah. And one thing, if you're moving into state or you're moving to a new suburb, is just try renting in that suburb mm. for a year before you buy. Yeah. You might not like it. You might hate it. And you might think, geez, that was a mistake. And all of a sudden, you've got a $500,000 asset in a, in a mistake. Yeah. Like, don't, yeah, don't do that. Just. Maintain that optionality. Hmm. And when you are selling, what's maybe a good trick that people might be able to do with agents? Do you know? Oh, throwing you a curveball. <laughs> so just ask maybe three real estate agents for their prices. Yeah. And often the, the agents that overpromise under deliver. Yeah. So if they say it's worth 750000 and you go with them and then 
there's no buyer, there is no buyer in that range, mm. then the property can sit online for a while, sit, you know, in advertorials for a while. And all of a sudden, you're lowering your price and that can be a sign to potential buyers that there's something wrong with the property, yeah. you're desperate, etc. Or they wonder why it's sitting on the market for so long. Yeah. So, this Peter O'Malley's book, this Inside Real Estate is a really good one. It has some good statistics about pricing the property right. That's yeah. probably the most important decision. So, that means not just going with the guy with the biggest smile or the, yeah. the lady with the best suit. You know, actually, they, they, their job is to flatter you, but at the end of the day, unless they can back up their claims, it's yeah. get three agents to give you a, a quote. And I think another important thing to know about property is it's a lot less liquid than oh, yes, other investment um, options. So essentially, I think as someone I know used to say, you can't if you need cash, you can't just sell the bathroom or the garage off of the property. You have mm. to sell the whole thing. Um, mm. And that can take many months, um, especially if the market changes. It's not a, just a, an up market. You might um, struggle to find a buyer at a reasonable price or you might have to sell it at a price lower than what you bought it for, which would, is the worst case scenario. <laughs> yes. Um, so it's it locks up a lot of your capital and it's hard to get that money out quickly if you need it. So mm. that's one thing to take into account. And that's why it's so Absolutely. important to have that emergency fund. Absolutely. All those things. And uh, you touched on something there, which is uh, emergency fund. Yeah is that when people buy houses, often they use their emergency fund to buy the house. Mm. That can be very risky because if you have, say, $40,000 saved up for a house and then you dip into your $10,000 emergency fund just to get the deposit over the yeah. line, you you buy your biggest asset, all of a sudden you need to furnish it, you need to do all the rest of it. Yeah, insurance, and body you don't corporate, have anything. all those sort of things. So you've got no emergency savings yeah. and then you're – all of a sudden on the hook for more bills. Yeah, and Very it's careful. always going to be more expensive than you think. And there's so many, like, what if the plumbing breaks or anything like that? You've got to pay. There's all these hidden expenses with properties. <laughs> yep. um, Maintenance. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, we don't want to be too pro or too negative on property and too pro shares or anything else. But uh, what are the ways that you can identify a spruker? So someone that is trying to scam you. Yeah. Um, I guess that's one issue in the property industry is there's a lot of people trying to sell you courses and properties oh, and all yep. sorts of weird and wonderful things um, or developments. That's another mm. big thing. Yes, it is. Um, are they calling and emailing you excessively? Um, are they promising you a return that doesn't mention the risks or a return that's out of this world mm. um, and that a return that doesn't line up with anything else happening in mm. Australia at the moment? Like, is it just insane? That's great. That's a good one. They don't even mention the risks. Yeah. yeah they're, just try- they're just purely salespeople. And they're like, this is the next big thing. There's nothing that could go wrong. You're guaranteed 100% return on your investment. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ponzi scheme, Ponzi yeah. scheme. But yeah, we'll get to some of those schemes later on. But uh, And sometimes it's not a scheme, but it's just it's not going to be anywhere near what they promise. And they're just selling you this big story. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think um, the last one that I had on this list is just and uh, if they could say that they're from the ATO or they can do something with the ATO, as yeah. in like they can promise you a tax refund or something, just run a mile away yeah. and speak to your accountant. Because the ATO on their website have every any tax incentive is listed on the yep. ATO website and you can actually go and verify these claims for yourself. Mm. And there's sometimes, well, I know there is definitely on the ATO website, there's like a scam page, like yeah. you know, the thing where they're phishing emails and all that sort of things, all those types of things that try and, they pretend that they're from the ATO. Uh, I think it was a podcast rule. I don't know if I made this up, but if they call you and they put you on the spot, don't give away any information yeah. to no one. 
Mm. If they have to call you to pitch you something, just don't And if even... they're giving you a free ticket to this full day seminar, mm. watch out. Yeah, that's right. If there's a if there's a table at the back of the room at the seminar that you have to like sign into or give some sort of information, just no. Mm. No, that's I bad. mean, I, I saw once when I was going in hol- on holidays in Queensland, they would give you a free TV if you came on this tour of their developments. And, um, free TV. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I think they would be using pretty aggressive sales techniques. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Okay. So, this is all pretty negative. Let's say if we want to be pro-property and we want to buy property, but let's say we're starting out. Yep. There's one trick or one way that we can do that with as little as $500, right? Yeah. And how do you do that? So, there's a way to gain exposure to both Australia and global property and infrastructure uh, without actually having to buy the physical property. So, you can invest in a Australian real estate investment trust. So, a little bit similar to ETFs, so mm-hmm. the exchange traded funds we've talked about previously, you can, there's sort of an actively managed product that's listed on the stock exchange in most cases, mm-hmm. uh, and you can buy it um, through your broker and they'll be invested in infrastructure. They might be invested in car parks, Australian office blocks, um, supermarkets, those big shopping centers. Mm. Um, and you can buy sort of a unit or two um, and then you get exposure to that without mm. having to buy the property. And that's a lot more liquid. Um, there are fees involved. Mm-hmm. Um, they're probably a little bit higher than exchange traded funds yes. generally just because there's more management involved and mm-hmm. obviously they're having to pay all of the mm. stamp duty and all the tax and everything like that. Um, but it does give you a way to expose yourself to property and infrastructure without having to buy a house. That's right. So, to summarize that, you can just use a normal share broking account. Instead of having to pay like $30,000 for a deposit or whatever, you can just take your 500 bucks mm. and you can buy a part of what we call a REIT or R-E-I-T. It's all capitalized. Yep. And you can buy into businesses that um, that operate property. So, yeah. things like if you go through the CBD and you see all the big towers and all the big apartment buildings, not even apartment buildings, but the big like, office towers, they're owned by someone. Yeah. And they're not typically owned by any individual. They're owned by what we call a REIT. Yeah. And so, you can buy part of that using the mm. share market. And you get, you know, it's similar to dividends. You get something like a dividend or like a rent. So you benefit from all those things just like a normal investor, but you can do it with like five hundred bucks, mm. and that's a really good way if you if you do think you know Australian property is good right now, it's yeah, whatever. You, or you could go invest in like a yeah. One if you like Australian overseas. property but don't actually need to buy a house or an apartment right now, then that's a way you can invest in it. This isn't a buy or sell recommendation. We don't do that on this show, but there are two and. This is to bring it home for people, there's one that invests in Bunnings warehouses, so it owns the actual Bunnings stores. Yeah. So there's the company that owns Bunnings and runs them, but then there's a, a REIT that owns the building in the land. Yeah. So you can buy into that. Or there's another one that is Westfield Shopping Centers. So you could own the the business which owns the Westfield actual the, the building. Yeah. So not the business, but the building and then get rent from the, all those retail outlets. Yeah, and often these REITs will give you a distribution of the rent received from their yeah. tenants. So like every six months. Yeah. So up. instead of getting the rent in your bank every month, you might just get a quarterly or twice yearly distribution. Yeah. So it's kind of like it's like a check in the mail. Yeah. So you can find we'll put some links on sort of websites where you can find more information on mm. REITs and what they are and how they work, but it's just an option to consider. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So 
We've got God, we've covered so much in this podcast. Yeah. What are some of the action points, Kate? Uh, I think, firstly, if you're interested in property, work out why you're buying it. Is it just because you think you should? You want a house to live in? You want an investment? And then sort of start from there. Um, I think just start saving mm. if you are. You want to make sure you can have that 20% deposit. Um, and so sometimes that might take you many years, but start now so you're ready for when you are ready to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also read as much as you can. So we'll put the links to some books, but get independent advice and read as much as you can and even go to different auctions and different um, inspections in the area just to know what's happening in that area where you want to buy and have an understanding of what the prices are. Mm-hmm. Other things is when you do save, it's just it's boring, but save in a savings account or somewhere like that. We'll, we'll get an expert on to talk about the super scheme that's yeah. available, which may not be available in the near future. So... We'll talk more about that in a later date. Um, to, when you use a mortgage broking, a mortgage calculator, don't just go with what the bank says. Don't yeah. go with what the mortgage broker says. Do what's right for you. Try and keep those repayments below 30%. And, and also learn about the different players in the industry, what their incentives are, where they stand, and yeah, if they the, may be suitable for your situation, where you can find them. Yeah, what are they What are they trying to do? What are they? What's their incentive? Yeah. So uh, one thing I'll add is that one of my rules of thumb, another one, is to start to own a property for seven years. So plan to own it for seven years. Yeah. And that's just to write out what we call for that volatility, the random ups and downs. Yeah. And then uh, to also remember that share, uh, property doesn't double every seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And if you receive a call from someone who promises that uh, they're working with the ATO and they've just got this really good new deal for you, Kate, what do you say? Thank you, next. Thank you, next. Yep, good one. I like it. Okay, so anything else you want to add? I think um, that's probably enough for today's episode, but we'll put heaps of resources in the show notes. Um, So if you are interested, you can go and explore from there. Mm -hmm. And questions? If you have any questions at all, please get in contact us. I'm on Twitter at HowToMoneyAustralia. You're online as well? Yes, uh, www.howtomoney.online and uh, feel free to contact Owen or myself um, if you have any questions at all. Yep, I'm at Owen Rask, it's R-A-S-K on Twitter and the raskfinance.com website where you can lodge a question and we'll have some show notes there too. All right, well, well thanks for staying with us today. Yeah, thanks for the longer episode and uh, love to hear feedback. Yep, all right, okay. see you next thanks, week. Thanks, Kate. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, 
designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.